Battle Line Podcast, great show with Jimmy Allen. Just myself here this episode, but with Jimmy Allen from Puddle of Mud. So don't tune out, uh, formerly of Puddle Mud and Against All Will. We talk some awesome stuff, and if you're a rock fan, you're going to want to check this one out. We get into the Pantera reunion of sorts happening uh, with two of the members, of course, because the Abbott brothers are no longer with us. You'll also hear, hear some just awesome rock stories between his time in Puddle of Mud, but also stuff with Kiss. We have a story involving Pamela Anderson. It's it's a fun one because I just got done with it. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy it if you love that rock talk stuff, which I do. And Jimmy does. And Jimmy has been a friend of the show. And of course, if you've been with us a while, then you already know Jimmy Allen created the theme music that you hear top of show and bottom of show. So he is just a friend of ours. And he was also at the Copper Ticket events because Jimmy is in Kansas City, which is not far from Fort Scott, Kansas, and he came out and had a blast. And it was cool for me meeting him for the first time. Um, with that, Ned is something that I use every day. They're just a great product. They're a great company. And they're putting out just awesome new stuff, as you heard in the last uh, episode that we did. Uh, not the last episode, but the last time that we had on Rhett from Ned. They're, they have new bomb out. And they do just excellent things with CBD. So, yeah, Daily Ritual is a practice that helps you stay grounded. It's an intentional act where you take a few minutes to reconnect with and take care of yourself. Daily routines are mundane and make you feel stuck in a rut. Daily rituals are meaningful and help you become the person you want to be. Transforming your life can be as simple as bringing more attention to the things you do every day. So number one, get present, slow down and check in on your five senses. Number two, think positive, take a deep breath, and say affirmations. And three, connect with your North Star, smile, and think about what really matters. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions, and they offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. I have that 300 milligram uh, daily blend in my refrigerator. I like to keep it cold and then have it under my tongue at night because it helps me fall asleep for sure. Uh, Ned's CBD is cold extracted from the world's purest USDA certified organic hemp in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. They have full transparency. Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process all right there on their site. Ned's CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews. So become the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned's products if you're a new listener and new subscriber uh, with the code BATTLELINE. So go to helloned.com slash BATTLELINE. Link is right there in the description or enter the code BATTLELINE at checkout. So that's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash BATTLELINE to get 15% off. If you've been thinking of trying CBD and you don't know where to start, this is the best company to go with. Trust us on this. Uh, if you've tried other CBD and we have listeners who have, that, a lot of people have said it's done nothing for me until I went with Ned. So thank you, Ned, for sponsoring our show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Last episode, we had on Sean Lake from Bub's Naturals, and we spoke in depth about what Bub's Naturals is doing and how Sean really is on a journey along with the other co-founder of Bubs in helping people become the best version of themselves and helping people transform their lives with the right supplements and, of course, in conjunction with diet and exercise. So they have their MCT oil powder. They also have their collagen protein. Their collagen protein, I would say, is really their flagship product, but they also have the apple cider vinegar gummies. Those are great. And 
man, uh, my friend George, who's a, who's a big, uh, was a big runner really, but has just become a big uh, exerciser in terms of tennis, in terms of yoga. He really swears by the uh, the fountain of youth formula, and, and he uses that every single day. So check that out post workout. You're gonna love to get the collagen protein in, and it's something that you're not getting in with your diet. And also, you're helping the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation in the process, which is helping the families of veterans. So check them out, BubsNaturals.com. Promo code BattleLine, BubsNaturals.com, promo code BattleLine for 20% off. And when you support our sponsors, you're supporting this show. So if you're a listener of this show, keep in mind, guys, we're not on Patreon or anything like that. We don't charge anyone for episodes for like the archive like some people do. And people ask all the time, how can I support your show? How can I keep you guys going? And the way to do that, uh, look, if you don't have any money, leave us a review. That stuff helps us out. But if you have any money and you want to check out some great products, support our sponsors like Ned and like Bubs Naturals. And with that, let's get right into everything. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The switch is on Battle Line Podcast and the music that you're hearing under me as always every show is none other than jimmy allen who is on with me for this show and the first time you were on was actually episode 31 it's been two years and prior to that we had different music and you were like let me give you guys some intro music that i that i created and then we ended up using you for the outro music too and we get so many compliments on it people want you to throw that up on spotify and itunes and all that other stuff yeah, 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 it's pretty cool that you guys use. Sounds great. Uh, you know the title of the song? Oh, isn't it called "Where Dreams Go to Die" or something? Or yeah, dreams? yeah, you do. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, you're good, man. You're good. I remember when you sent it to me. Uh-huh. Yeah. If I guarantee, if you put that on streaming or put that up, people would love to hear because I get I get messages, and I could even tell you if people want to tweet or not tweet Instagram at Jimmy Allen Songwriter. And let him know you want the song up to stream or download or buy. I think people want to hear it. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Oh, of course. So, so to give Jimmy's background, really, for the new people, other than creating our theme music, of course, Jimmy is songwriter, guitarist, best known for his work in Puddle of Mud and Against All Will, the creator of all the music you hear, once again, top and bottom of show. And uh, yeah, the, the thing I should tell the audience, and you're wearing the fourth Scott Munitions hat, is I got to meet you for the first time when I went to the, and I got it right here. I think you have it too. 
went to the copper ticket event with uh with chris peronto of course and got to hang out at your place nerded out saw all the stuff on the walls that people are seeing now if they're watching on youtube and uh had a there we go had a great time uh meeting you man and, and seeing kansas city and, and also kansas for the first time yeah it was great yeah it was really awesome i was good to hang out with you and good to hang out with all the boys and tonto and you know ryan d and ryan craft and you know matt davis all those guys you know it was great to hang out with, the, with everybody michael billings doing the stuff you know a lot of the the gun guys there that was really fun i mean it was a uh, you know, it was an honor to be there. I was really stoked with one of my best friends from like way back from grade school, Kevin Matlock. It was a great time. We both were like on the way home. We couldn't stop talking about how cool it was. You know, everybody was so sweet, and, you know, to, you know, get to have that kind of meal and that kind of spread over at the Kraft family. That was that was pretty cool. You that, What a spread. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the property was awesome and they really just do a great job at Fort Scott. I didn't really know what to expect. I knew it was like a large property and then they also had the the range on the property but going there and seeing for yourself it was an amazing experience for sure yeah yeah it was, it was a lot of fun I, I i appreciate everybody's time and and thanks for the invite you and tonto thank you for allowing me, us to come oh of course and i mean right when i got off the plane you're right by the airport in kansas city so i got to check out the house and see everywhere where you you know get to record your work and also all the stuff on the walls and and really was going to mention like speaking of accolades and the awards behind you the the latest one really and i don't know if you received anything for it but i've mentioned it and i mentioned it on social media was blurry which you were a writer on reaching 100 million views on youtube which is a major accomplishment man that shows the longevity of that song thanks man yeah that was it that was really cool. I think I'm supposed to get an award. I think my manager, he's a great guy. Uh, he he, he kind of did up an award for me. I think he got a hold of the YouTube people or whatever to get an award for that. A hundred, hundred million. I think it's at 102 or something now. It's like, you know, it's, you know, that, that's great to be able to see that, you know, to see how much, you know, the song has grown over the last what 20 years or whatever. And then to have Hardy do it, I, you know, I turned you onto that, right? Yes. You know? Yeah. I was going to mention that too. And, and he's had success with it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it's like my sister went and saw him live and she was like, did you know he's doing blurry? And I was like, no, I didn't. And then I looked up and the video was right there. And I was just like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, that's a, a tip to the hat, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and, and he did a great job with it, too. I think he made it his own while at the same time staying true to what you and the other guys in Puddle of Mud wrote. Yeah, really close. That's what I thought, you know, and I was kind of thinking it was going to be uh, more of a, a country kind of thing or whatever, because, you know, he's kind of got that that twang to him or whatever. I love his other stuff, too. I mean, he's got great, great material. Hardy really, uh, and he kind of reminds me of a cross between Kid Rock and, you know, Johnny Cash or something, but to hear kind of the, the the rock you know kind of come out of him it was really close to the original i thought really they kept it really similar to that yeah he he did and i think um i i think there are a lot of country guys who just embrace that era of music and what people like you accomplished and that's why you have someone like aaron lewis out there who who was from that whole world and has now become a huge star in his own right in the country scene and at the same time i think i think at first people were skeptical they were like is this Aaron kind of riding a wave? Is he just trying to reinvent himself? But I feel like 
stand and the current music he's doing now solo that that is him that's legitimately what he likes and what he listens to and it's not about following trends yeah yeah and yeah he's got it and he's got a lot of grief from all this too it's like you know congrats to aaron for staying strong because you know it's like they really came after him pretty hardcore and he's just really just doing music that he you know his his, his dad and granddad probably played for him you know he's he's kind of trying to do something different but everybody's kind of like coming after him for like he's some some crazy you know redneck or whatever but it's like you know congrats to him for i mean going number one and stuff you know in a different genre that doesn't that doesn't happen very often you know in in our industry you know it's really cool that he got to experience that and and is is keeping keeping on with staying too i think you know yeah, and I think people sometimes don't realize it. Musicians in general tend to listen to all different genres. They're influenced by all different genres. And I think it's kind of weird how people feel you're a rock guy, you have to stick to rock. But when I yeah. listen to what you've done with Against All Will or even getting turned on by you to your other band, Cooker, like you've done all different genres of music. And if you listen to the intro and outro of this show, it's different. And I could see you writing for something for a country artist or writing something probably with a guy like Hardy and, and having a hit with that as well. Yeah. And I, I totally dig that. I love the collaboration. I love doing, I love really, I really love doing stuff that's different, you know, There's, you know, you kind of break out of the mold, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, trying different things sometimes, you know, I've tried a few hip hop things. I didn't really like it or whatever, but it's like, I still, I still listen to hip hop. I still love rock. I still love metal. I still love country. I still love all that stuff. I, I just don't, you can't really, with writing, I can't really pigeonhole myself as one thing, but it's like, if I would, I would say just rock, you know? Do, do you still have like the hunger to write another hit that's going to be something in the vein of blurry or or anything else you know she hates me or any of the other hits that you've written because it's almost like when i talk to jim west on here and the fact that jim is now in his obviously older but in his 60s but trained boxers trained ufc fighters and when i talk to jim i could tell he's still hungry to train like the next big ufc fighter the next boxer and i don't think that's ever left him like do you listen to songs on the radio and think I, yeah. I gotta be doing so so do you have something that, that you're working on you have stuff in, in the works that you think we're gonna hear soon yeah yeah I, i've got you know it's coming along everything's kind of taking its course but you know it's like uh i've got i want i want to do something a little more maybe country you know country a little bit more maybe southern rockish i should say not country you know like like Skinner, that type of genre. Yeah, yeah. Something just down home cooking kind of groove, you know, something that's real simple, not a lot of electronics and all that other bullshit that's in there. Yeah, because I think the thing about the the stuff that you've written, whether it's Drift and Die or Blurry and, you know, any of the stuff we've mentioned, it's it's timeless. And that's why it's still played on radio. And it's not even just played on rock radio. Something like Blurry is played on a white FM and it's, it's on YouTube being viewed by hundreds of millions uh, is there anything that you're hearing now that you're like, this is incredible. This is going to last the next 20 years. What, what, what do you, what's out there that inspires you maybe? I, I mean, really, I don't really, like, yeah, there's not a lot I hear right these days that really, I feel like is going to really stick, you know, I mean, here and there I'll hear something, but you know, most of the time it's kind of like uh, the, the music industry is kind of in a, in a tough spot right now. I think that I don't really, 
really pay attention to the whole pop thing very much, you know, there's, and there's a lot of that, that, which I guess the younger kids, you know, they might be still be into that whole thing in 20 years, but like for rock, you know, I really can't think of anything right now. You know, what do you think? I mean, what, like any bands that, you, you know, you feel like have that kind of staying power. Well, we, we text back and forth about music now and again. And, and I told you, I was really, impressed by that new turnstile album uh, from oh, start yeah, to finish yeah, yeah I, that's yeah it, i really dug it because i i think it's so uh eclectic i like i hear punk rock in there i hear hardcore in there but then there's also some shredding and there's also some mel some melodies going on in terms of the vocals it's not just all the uh you know screaming vocals so that that new turnstile album is like the best thing i've heard in many years yeah, yeah, I really like it. You know, another band I kind of have been, I got turned on to a couple of years ago that I'm really digging was Middle Class Rut. I don't know if you've heard of them. No. Yeah, they're pretty cool. That Middle Class Rut, they've been going for a while. I think they did a tour with Allison James. And it's like, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, for some reason, the singer kind of reminds me of some, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Perry Farrell from Jane's Addiction. He kind of has that kind of vibe to him where it's like, uh, he can kind of go really high, but it's kind of got that. I, I guess it, and it's only two dudes. It's like a drummer, and then that dude plays guitar and bass at the same time. So, yeah, check that out. Middle class rut. They're really cool. Yeah, I will. I feel like the stuff that's been impressive kind of are those mid tier bands and artists like the Hardy Turnstile that are playing the club level shows. The stuff on the arena level, a lot of it I, I haven't been into. I know that um, when I was doing Appetite for Distortion with Brando, which we talked about rock and talked yeah. about Guns N' Roses and all that, I remember early on the name Greta Van Fleet kept coming up. And they were like, these are the, the new guys. And like, I've listened to it. And personally, it's no offense. I don't know them, but like, it doesn't do anything for me. And it just sounds like this is what a modern day Led Zeppelin would sound like. I, it doesn't yeah. sound very original to me. Like with what you did with your bands, when I hear it, I, you could hear the influence maybe of those, the, the grunge here. And I'm putting air fingers quote, cause I know it's just like a, a genre that the media came up with, but you could hear the influence yet at the same time. I think you guys were doing something completely original as opposed to when I hear Greta Van Fleet, I just hear we're trying to sound like Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I kind of get that too. But I have ran into a lot of people that really, really are hip to them. That it's like, and that's what I kind of say. I was like, yeah, it sounds like they're trying to be a little bit like Zeppelin or whatever. And it's like, you know, you kind of hear that, but it's like, you know, it's probably good for the whole genre of rock to get maybe some young kids into them yeah. then they can kind of go back from that you know but it, it really doesn't do much for me except that actually when i've seen them live on something they're actually playing which is a cool thing sure. where it's just them in a laptop you know what i'm saying yeah oh for sure man and yeah there's there's a lot of that for sure of the backing tracks and eddie trunk is infamous for ranting about all that which i listen to all the time but um yeah, I think the bands that have staying power are always the bands that come out and you go, this is unlike anything I've ever heard before. That's the stuff that has staying power, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, and, and you know, like Eddie Trunk's been saying, though, it's like these people spend their hard-earned money to go see a show. It's kind of, you know, you need, as a band, you need to be have your stuff together to where you can kind of play the show and not rely on a laptop. And, you know, that whole thing's kind of crazy to me because it's like, uh, I've, you know, 
I've had been in bands where we've had backing tracks and stuff like that for a couple songs, but that even made me feel like it was cheapening the whole deal. Yeah. What what stuff had backing tracks? Like Blurry has some stuff on it. Um, when we did with Puddle, we did Spin You Around. It had some vocal harmonies and stuff on there. Puddle has, you know, a good three or four songs where they kind of had had a little bit of electronic uh, help going on, you know. So you would you would rather the song be if if you were in charge at that time those songs be completely live because you're talking about for the audience who doesn't know and and as you know I'm kind of a nerd for all this stuff you were one of the original founding members and then you went away for quite a number of years and you came back for a few years and toured with them yeah I, basically Wes asked me to come back after Paul quit and you know we 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 toured you know we basically did a few tours and then you know. We got to play the Times Square thing on New Year's Eve, you know, that whole thing on top of the Coke sign. Uh, that was a really cool gig and stuff. Yeah, it was kind of one of those things where, you know, Wes kind of likes to be the boss of everything where it's like he kind of now he's kind of got a bunch of guys in there filling in on stuff. But, you know, he asked me back and, you know, we kind of came up with some stuff. Schizophrenic Psycho being one of those songs. And I kind of got. I kind of got the shitty end of the stick on that, you know, with when it comes to publishing and stuff like that. So we kind of had our second falling out then, you know, and, uh, and ever since it's just kind of been a weird deal. You know, it's like, uh, I hope everything comes back around where, you know, he can have another hit like Blurry or She Hates Me or stuff like that. You know, I've reached out to him to work on some stuff and you know, he's, it's kind of a lukewarm response. He'll, he'll want to for a little bit and then he won't want to. So, you know, I hope it works out. Well, the interesting thing for me too, was when they put out that latest album, which I do think is, is a really good album personally. I don't know your feelings on it, but I, I, this was prior to, to even hearing the old stuff and you sending me the original album that came out before come clean. I was looking at the credits because I do always look at that stuff. And the first song on that album is you don't know which was yeah. co-written by you, but was on the uh, on the original Puddle of Mud album and is really like a rework of that song. So, I mean, I, it would be cool to just see more Jimmy Allen songwriting credits on on whatever they put out next, although there's been a huge gap in between releases. And you, know, you do have to wonder, when are they even going to put out another album? And is it even worth it? Because they do very well touring. I've seen multiple shows of, of Puddle of Mud and they fill out venues, but in terms of like a band like Puddle of Mud putting out music in 2022, I don't know if the audience is there as much as the audience to, who's going to go out to a live show and see the classic hits. Yeah, 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 I agree with you on that, you know, and it was cool that they did You Don't Know, and that was like, You Don't Know was one of the first kind of song, Drift and Die and You Don't Know were the first, my first real attempts at writing my own songs. I was 21, you know, so those, those, both those songs, you don't know and drift and die were basically the first songs I'd ever written as original, you know, and to have them even be on an album and to have them be, you know, successful is pretty cool to me. Cause that, that was just my first stab at it, you know, just trying to, trying to get, you know, so, cause we were playing as puddle. We were playing a lot of Alice in Chains and Nirvana and black Sabbath and that. And those guys were all, you know, we were making money playing covers, you know, because that was kind of the time when covers were kind of the thing. And so, you know, it, it's kind of a weird deal to, to like go, hey, guys, 
I'm tired of playing covers. Let's let's write some of our own stuff. And those guys didn't really want to. And I was like, well, I'll just do it. Then, you know, so, you know, that's how, how that's how those songs came about that way, you know. Yeah. And those songs are still great. When I heard You Don't Know on the new album, like I said, hearing it for the first time, I was like, this is great. This sounds like classic but old mud. And I, I do think there's a reason for that when you look at the songwriting credits. But, hey, I wanted to talk to you about this. We were texting this morning, and I didn't even know what we were going to get into this show beyond just what you're up to in Kansas City. And we, we've spoken about your history before. If people want to check out, of course, uh, our first episode, which was episode 31, we really get deep into all of that stuff and kind of your, your rise and, and probably fall, you would say, when you were living in L.A., got into drugs, got off drugs, we got into all that stuff. But I, I didn't want to rehash all the same stuff. And you and I could talk about rock for hours, of course. And I saw this morning, uh, this this article that is making headlines that Pantera is going to be touring again for the first time in over 20 years, because the last tour was the Extreme Steel Tour 2001, which I was at. Um, and of course, you text me back and we're like, what about the other two guys, we know the Abbott brothers are no longer here. And and the, the thing is, like, they had a good, what would it be? They had a good 15 years or so to get back three members. And now you only have two members left. And clearly, yeah. I would say the Abbott brothers, Dimebag Darrell and Vinnie Abbott, probably would not have wanted this to go on. Nah, dude, I really don't. I, don't, I, I, I think about it and I'm like, man, you know, the whole Pantera story is like, why haven't they made a biopic about this? I mean, their dad was their first, you know, manager, producer, because he had studios and stuff. That's what got them those first, you know, record deals and stuff. And then, you know, to have Dime murdered like that. I mean, it's like the biopic would be like better than any movie they could ever even dream up. I mean, True. you know, I mean, so it's like, I think most of the people that were into Pantera, I'm not discrediting Phil or Rex at all, you know, great, you know, great at what they do. But people that went to see Pantera went to see the Abbott brothers. I mean, they really, you know, they exuded that musicianship, you know, and it's like, you can have Zach Wild fill in for Dimebag because I know they're bros and everything, but I don't think that zach you know maybe they'll have multiple people doing it or i don't know you know i mean I, I can see zach doing it but there's not a lot of guitar players that i can see reaching down and and trying to get into dime fill dime shoes because those shoes are unfillable you know yeah and and then also for a lot of bands with drummers and i, I could even bring this up you know we've had the uh the members of amur on the show and i recently <laughs> not recently but it's been a while saw the article about amur replacing their most recent drummer and i texted frankie from amur about it and he, and he he said yeah we'll be able to find another drummer it's not a huge deal and in most bands you can replace a drummer pretty easily vinnie paul though is almost like a tommy lee he's yeah he's that's irreplaceable and the minute you hear a vinnie paul drum lick you know this i don't know if drum lick would be the word uh but you hear the way that Vinny drums on songs. There was no one, and it's not even that he was the greatest of all time, but he had a signature sound, that bass, that double bass sound that I, I, you know, right away when you hear him and I don't know who would replace him either. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that too. When we were talking um, earlier, I was, I was thinking, you know, our buddy Roy Moyorga from, uh, from uh, Soulfly. And he was in, he's uh, he was in Stone Sour 
and then he is in ministry right now but he was filling in for the rest of those hell yeah shows so i'm sure that he's a he's one of those dudes that would probably be you know that would be in line for that for that but you're right though i mean Vinny had the double bass and all that sound and it, it, a big shoes to fill man i'm just both those guys i mean and that's the thing in this day and age is what is it going to happen? Are they just going to take the money and run, you know, kind of thing. It's like, is it going to happen? Because it's like, you know, there's so many things that you variables out there that, you know, could get in, in the way of everything. And especially with, I mean, filling those shoes for both guys and their brothers and the whole, the whole thing would be like, Oh, if I, if I were the other two, if I was Rex and Phil, I'd be like nervous. I'd be like, Oh, I don't know guys. You know, maybe we should take the money and run. <laughs> I doubt he would ever do it, but Tommy Lee, you yeah, ever he, hear the, you ever hear the 94 Motley Crue album? Yep. Yeah. If you I listen, like that album. I love it. If you listen yeah. to the song, smoke the sky on that yep. album, you could hear that that is Tommy Lee doing his best Vinnie Paul. And he, he kills it. He could play that same way that Vinnie Paul plays. If, if, you know, and also that would be a huge draw. That would kind of make up for a little of the lack of appeal of these two guys. I doubt it would happen, but I, it would be cool. Yeah, that's one guy I was thinking, too, would be Tommy Lee. And, you know, that's what they're probably looking for, too. They're probably looking for some extra star power to draw in some, you know, some other guys, you know. Well, you here's know? the thing. I probably will go. I got to see Pantera, as I said, on the final tour in 2001. I think it would be an amazing show. I've seen Phil many times with Down, always puts on a killer performance. Uh, I even got to see Rex on stage with Down when he was in Down. Uh, um, I will probably go, but the fact of the matter is this, there's so much uh, selling power in a name. Because if they went on tour, and I don't think anyone ever would have a problem with it, if they went on tour as Phil Anselmo and Rex Brown play Pantera, if that was the what was on the marquee, people would love it but that would probably sell bigger clubs and i think if they have the name pantera that will sell arenas yeah and that's yeah it's like i think that's what they're thinking too you know and it, it, i've seen them three or four times man i saw I, I, back in the day in the 90s I, I saw them you know and they tore it up i mean it was they were one of those bands that were, were unstoppable and it kind of kind of stinks that phil kind of put a a stop to all that because man i i know it was both vinnie's vinnie's and dimes you know dreams to you know make that that band you know that was their band they started you know even they had that terry guy that was singing before phil yeah you terry know? glaze yeah yeah terry glaze yeah so it's like it's it, you know it, it's kind of heartbreaking to me to be just thinking go oh man it's like phil why couldn't you got your shit together earlier and got you know made these guys they were reaching out to him that's why they started Hell yeah, or not hell yeah, Damage but uh, plan, yeah. yeah. You know, they were just heartbroken. They were like, man, this is our, you know, this is our dream, you know? And then, you know, Phil, it's always, with singers, it's always kind of an ego thing, man, you know? Hope you guys are enjoying this show. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, if you're not, subscribe to us on YouTube. But if you're watching on YouTube, how do you like that hat? 
Jimmy Allen is wearing the Fort Scott Munitions hat. Of course, it's because he was there with us at Fort Scott and has become a friend of, of the team over at Fort Scott Munitions. And Jimmy is a shooter. He's not just a guitar player. So he is now shooting with Fort Scott Munitions. He has converted over. He is a believer. And Fort Scott Munitions is, of course, the longest sponsor of this podcast, the longest running sponsor. And we love what they do. They're a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as now on their website. They're caught up for now, so uh, check them out, fsm.com. It's as simple as that, fsm.com. Use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. That's an exclusive offer for the BATTLELINE audience. fsm.com, promo code BATTLELINE, fsm.com. Promo code BATTLELINE. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE Podcast. And we're talking guns. We're talking ammo. We got to talk night vision here. And if you're looking for the best night vision out there, if you're on the in the market for it, Photonist Defense is who you got to go with. Now you can have the superpower to see in the dark with the Viper Binocular Night Vision System by Photonist Defense, which is the global leader in night vision solutions providing more high-end night vision capabilities than anyone. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonist Defense Solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and outdoor enthusiasts can rely on the Photonist Defense Viper Binocular to help them master the darkness, which is their trademark, Master the Darkness. The new Viper binocular system carries the same features and benefits as the Photonist Defense Viper monocular with a ruggedized body and harnesses the power of the echo intensifier tubes, giving you sharper images, reduced halo, and industry-leading ultra-fast auto-gating across the range of dynamic operating conditions. Visit PhotonistDefense.com for more information or look for Photonist Defense product options from your night vision dealer. Once again, Photonist Defense, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S, defense.com. We got plenty of more of a great stuff to get to with this interview. So let's get right back to it. Jimmy Allen. Yeah, I, I, like I said, though, I would I would still probably go. And there, the thing is, for the casual fan, they see that Pantera marquee. And if they're a big Pantera fan, they're going to go, Pantera's touring. I got to yeah. go. And people forget that the casual fans sometimes they don't even know who's in the band. I think with yeah. Pantera, people do know those personalities, but the thing is also with them too, if you were to know the members of the band, because the people do know all the members of the band, people know Dimebag, they know Vinny, and they know Phil. I would say the casual fan wouldn't be able to name Rex Brown, as great of a bass player as he is. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, it's like, and I read his book. His book was good. Did you I read, read it? Yeah, yes. Okay. 
you and I both are, are big, you know, readers on the on the, the rock and roll books and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. But I figured you did. Yeah, it was a good book. You know, it's like I get into that stuff because, you know, it's kind of like reading out al- album liner notes and stuff like that. You know who everybody is. But you're right. The most casual fans don't know who produced what, who wrote what, who's in the band. We're, they just like, hey, we like the music. That's it. Also, it was a good book but it was some insight into why they never did reunite because I, I, I think, and I kind of get the feeling that Rex regrets writing some of that because the book was a lot of like shit talking of Vinny and a little yeah. bit of Dimebag, but very much of Vinny and even some of Phil. And I always feel like, man, why put out a book like that? I, I just think it's, you know, it was an entertaining read, but at the end of the day, it really strains relationships. And I'm sure now with Vinnie Paul dying, you got to feel a little differently and be like, man, why couldn't we patch things up? Because all the stuff that he says about Vinny, that from what I remember, and it's been years since I read it, it's all very minor at the end of the day. He didn't do anything horrible to him. And it's like, keep those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, uh, you're right. I mean, on a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, it's like you read some of the stuff and you're just like, whoa. And you're like, but, you know, the thing was, is Vinny was kind of the, he was the businessman in the band. And, you know, when the businessman, you know, when you're in a band, the businessman's trying to keep everything level and get everybody paid and make sure everybody's, you know, there's a little bit of resentment there, you know, because I can say that, honestly, with me and Puddle, I was the businessman and I got a lot of, you know, resentment towards me from the other guys because i was like no we're gonna do this no we're gonna do this we're gonna you know this is what we're gonna do and then when kind of west was given free reign was fred durst was the businessman now you know it was like he didn't have to worry about that he couldn't you can't re- and he ended up resenting fred i think he still does a little bit i think he resents fred you know so it's like hey when you're the businessman in the band and you're just trying to look out for the band and try to become successful and and you know be able to pay the bills the other band members usually kind of give you grief and you're kind of like well dude i'm trying to it's not like i'm filling line in my pockets i'm just trying to do things straight and do things right you know and 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 get this band to a point to where we can be semi-successful but you know it's like good thing that fred durst was the gatekeeper for west because you know that's what really pushed it over the edge you know and thank you to Fred Durst, you know, I mean, I, I, I've hung out with him a few times. He was a, a, a decent dude to me. Uh, great guy for the the music and stuff like that, for my music and for Puddle, you know, I mean, so I don't really resent him, but I hear people that like to bash on him and I'm kind of like, hey, man, he's a smart businessman. He's, you know, he knows what he's doing. He, he also obviously had an ear for talents because just the same oh, way yeah. we were mentioning Stand and Aaron Lewis earlier. I mean, he picked two huge winners between Puddle of Mud and Stain. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, that's and that's the thing is like, you know, like the, both those bands are radio bands where he knew, you know, hey, I'm going to push these guys to radio. And it's like, I heard, you know, I hear Stained almost every day on the rock station here. I hear Puddle too, you know, I mean, good songs, good rock songs. They, they really don't die as long as they kind of start off and have a fan base. And, you know, it's and been a while. It's probably smart to pick. Yeah, exactly. It's been a while. He's right. Yeah, yeah. To pick these bands who could write these major rock hits as opposed to probably what people would have predicted. 
he could have signed a bunch of rap metal groups that were similar to Limp Biscuit and probably would have been forgotten five years later. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's like, and Limp Biscuit, you know, it's like, you know, they're another band that's like, you may not like them, but I like, I'm one of those guys that I was like, dude, those first two albums that they put out were phenomenal. You know, it's like, and then I kind of grew up and kind of grew out of that. Maybe, uh, you know, it's such a heavy testosterone phase or something kind of grew out of that, you know, but those first two albums like counterfeit, I remember when it first came out, I was just like, wow, this is a, a really badass song, you know? And most of the friends I was hanging out with were like, ah, oh, that's cheesy, you know? It's crazy that they don't play songs off that album live, really, for the most part, because I think that first album was incredible and still stands up. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. It, it is weird that it's like, you know, did you did you check out the new album? The new, yeah, I, I, I like it. I like it a lot, actually. I heard a few good, I heard a few good songs on there. That's the thing. It's like, I was, I, you know, I wasn't really, I didn't really dive deep into it, but, you know, I listened to it and I thought it was pretty good. It's a good album. There's an NXS cover on there, which is pretty cool. And they, they definitely have reinvented themselves. They're not doing the exact same thing, but it's still Limp Bizkit. It's still, uh, it, it still has what you kind of want when you hear an album with Fred Durst. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, not, you're not expecting anything that's, uh, I don't know, like incredibly deep. It's not what you go to Limp Bizkit for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, let's go! <laughs> <laughs> I, and I got to see them at Mohegan Sun recently. I saw them in Connecticut and uh, I had a great time. I crowd surfed for the first time in years and I was just feeling <laughs> it. I, 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 this video of it, it was, I had an awesome time. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Limp, uh, Limp Biscuit, you know, my big draw to them is Wes Borland is a badass guitar player. He does some really unique stuff and he's always wearing that, wearing the weird stuff. It's like, you're like, whoa, who is this dude? Where's he from Mars? You know, what the hell? Did, did you ever get to link up with him? Because I know both of you guys were living in L.A. and you had that same connection. I ran into him at NAMM one time with, I uh, can't remember who I was with. Maybe I was with Moke, one of our drummers from Against All Will. And he goes back with the Corn guys and the Limp Biscuit guys. And uh, he was a, he seemed like a real soft-spoken kind of dude. He wasn't like, you know, just kind of a mellow dude. I think it was at NAMM and there's guitars going off everywhere and stuff like that. So it was one of those deals where it's like, trying to talk but uh everybody's playing you know instruments around you and you're kind of like okay nice to meet you or whatever yeah the, the i've always uh, thought about what it would be like at nam too because you have all these guys who are like hardcore shredders who really just can oh, play yeah. their ass off like the ingve malmsteam and and all those guys yeah i saw him at nam too yeah he was he was ripping at the marshall booth man it was a, like in I mean, it was in front of maybe 50 people or whatever, but he was shredding and I just walked right up there. I think he gave me a pick and everything, but he was shredding. I was just like, man, I've really never paid attention to his music, but man, he was ripping on that thing, you know, on the, on the Fender Strat through the Marshall, he was ripping it. It was, it was crazy. Are, are you into the shredders? Cause I know for you, like with what you write, that's not necessarily your playing style. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. I grew up with the Zach Wilds, the Randy Rhodes, the George Lynch's, you know, all the, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, it's like, I forgot most of the, what, you know, the shredding that I used to do, or, you know, it's like, just cause I get into songs more, but it's like every once in a while I'll be like, Oh yeah, that's Randy Rhodes or Eddie Van Halen or whatever. And then I can play a little bit of it, but there's, you know, a lot of that stuff, you know, it's like, 
I, I that's what I grew up loving, you know, just the whole that whole kind of shreddy thing, you know. I never was really a big Steve Vai, Joe Santriani guy, but I can I know that they they rip, you know. But I was always more into the guys, you know. It's like even like a guy like Mick Marsh from Motley Crue. He's oh yeah, shreddy, you know, he got some pretty pretty on um, Doctor Feelgood, and you know, he had some pretty shredding licks on that thing. I remember just being like, "Whoa, Mick." <laughs> Yeah, I I like it. And it I mean, I love that stuff. And it went away for a while. And it, it, I think it's coming back a little bit. But during the 90s, for sure, that completely went away. And then especially, you might even remember, uh, did you see I, I, I imagine you did because you're into the same stuff as me, but some kind of monster, the Metallica documentary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I remember on on um, St. Anger, there was not one guitar solo. And it sucks that Kirk Hammond because he spoke up a little bit about it. But it seems like those guys always overpowered him. And they said, oh, guitar solos, like, that's a thing of the past. Yeah, you know, we, we don't want to keep, like, reliving that thing. And and I agreed with what Kirk Hammett said in that documentary. He's like, if we don't have one guitar solo on this album, then we're we're doing what's, like, of the time right now. He's like, yeah. that's not being unique at all to not have it, where it's the album is going to sound like of this time. He said, why not just have guitar solos that are kind of different than what I did on the Black album or what I did in previous albums? But then when you picked up the album you have one of the greatest guitarists out there and not one guitar solo yeah and that and it's weird it's like you get that 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 documentary i've watched so many times because it's like watching a band just fall fall apart but it's like i can't even really remember i have saint anger i have that album but i can't really remember any of the songs off of it i remember you know saint anger you know i remember that song but it's like everything else off of it i don't really remember any of it believe it or not it's kind of grown on me it's it the type of album you have to really listen to, though, in like a pissed off uh, mood. It, it's this type of thing I could listen to at the gym if I'm lifting weights and like going for a max or something. But it doesn't have the songwriting of, of classic Metallica, for sure. And it, and it was following trends at the time. There's stuff on there where you go, especially people always talk about the St. Anger snare, the way the snare sounded that Lars used. And, and I, yeah. think it was, I think it was trying to sound like Slipknot, who, uh-huh. who had those drum sounds going on. Uh, with you know the two other drummers beating the kegs or whatever you'd want to call them i i yeah. do think it was very of the time of like all right we got to sound more like bands like slipknot and corn that aggressive nature and and it does sound of that time period more than what you would expect from metallica yeah it, and i think you're right i think they were i think they even used that same engineer didn't they from the slipknot uh can't think of his name right now but yeah i think they used that same engineer not not Ross Robinson, but the engineer actually that did that St. Anger, Greg Feldman or somebody like that. But yeah, I'm going to look kinda, right now. Okay. Yeah. I'm look curious. it up. Yeah. I know Bob Rock produced it. Let's see. It was, uh, I just see producer Bob Rock and I Maybe see Bob did it. but if I go down, um, it says assistant engineering, Mike Gillies. Is that, uh, that's not it. No, I was wrong. And then it says Eric Helmkamp, assistant engineering, Vlado Meller mastering. Hmm. No, I was wrong. They're great. I think the Greg guy might have came in later with a uh, Death Magnetic or whatever. Also, I mean Bob Rock. He, he he did a bunch of tremendous albums, late '80s and '90s, and then I think he fell off for a little bit. I actually like some of the new stuff he did uh, with Motley Crue for the Dirt soundtrack, but I think he had like a huge run there. And uh, during the 2000s, he didn't produce anything that was at least for me that memorable. Uh huh. Yeah, it was, it, he 
you know, with, with Bob Rock, that he's got his, he's got that sound, you know, it's got that. And yeah, he, he probably doesn't have to ever work a day in his life again, you know, doing that. But I ran into him one time in LA, there used to be this boutique pedal company, guitar pedal company that was like right off sunset by the, by the, the guitar center. And he was in there buying pedals. And I was like, Hey man, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? And he was like, I'm buying a bunch of these old pedals and stuff. He's like, I got a studio in Hawaii, you know, and I need some gear there or whatever. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. And then like me and my buddy Troy were walking out and he was like in this S10, like an old S10, like truck. Dude, and we were like, what the hell? Well, you know, and this was, yeah, it had to have been right after St. Anger or whatever. And we were just, like, just driving casually around in a little beat up S10 truck. And I was like, that's crazy, man. You know, some was, of it, stuff- was this LA or Kansas City? LA. Yeah, it was in LA. It was right by, it was this, uh, it was a, it's not there anymore. And it wasn't there when I moved there. They kind of, they kind of, but it was, uh, I want to say it was Voltage Guitars and it was the name of it. But they had all these old pedals, all the electro harmonics and old tube screamers and all the old crazy pedals that were like, you know, $2,000 for a, a 50, what used to be a $50 pedal back in the day, you know? Wow. And, yeah. and Troy, you mentioned Troy. Troy was in Puddle of Mud for a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Troy, Troy was in Puddle of Mud for a while. He, and then we did the cooker thing together. And he's got his own thing, which is called Twist Face. Um, but yeah, he was... Uh, he he just recently went to one of the puddle of mud shows in Pittsburgh, Kansas, you know, and 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 he went there and I go, well, did you go up and you know say hi to Wes or whatever? And he's like, yeah, I didn't even bother, you know. So I was like, well, okay, you know. He said it was sounded everything sounded good. What what do you think is the reason for that? Is it uh, I mean, if you're able to reveal, do you think it's drug issues or do you think they have issues or anything like? And if and if you can't talk about it, I get that too. No, you mean, you mean like Wes and, you know, I think, I think, you know, yeah, you're, you're talking that way or whatever. Well, I just mean why, why Troy wouldn't want to see him if, if he's a former member of the band, you know, and he's at the show. I, I'd figure like, if you're going, you might as well say, hey, I'm, I'm here to support, even though I'm not here in the band anymore. Well, you know, the, you know, I tried to get everybody like some of the Fort Scott guys. I tried to get them passes or whatever. So I put a call out. And, you know, it was basically like, we can get you one pass. <laughs> so uh, it was kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know. What do you think is is up with that? Because uh, clearly they, they probably could do more. But, I mean, at the same time, it's not it's not like it's expensive to see a puddle of mud show at the same time. They're, they're playing they're playing smaller yeah. clubs, but they're they're packing them out. Yeah, I think it was I think the tickets were like. $30 or something like that. But I think what it, the main reason is, was that it was a casino show and I think it was sold out. So he was probably like, you know, uh, we can get you one pass or two passes or something. Cause I tried to pull some strings to, you know, just kind of get a, a couple passes, but you know, it's like, I don't, you know, it's weird now. I don't know who's hip to the backstage stuff or, you know, passes or meet and greets or, anything like that because all, all, all the other stuff that's going on or whatever. I know a lot of bands are like, Hey, we're not going to have any backstage or we're not going to do meet and greets, but I think this yeah, one was COVID stuff. Yeah. 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 I think this one was just purely probably that it was, was sold out, I guess, or whatever, but you know, Troy paid for his ticket and he bought merch and everything. I was, 
he's like, Hey man, I'm going to support him. You know, it's like, cool. So then why yeah. not, why not run up and say what's going on? That, that's, that's a little strange to me for sure. Yeah, it's, I, it's not, it's in, not in Troy's nature to be like a, a celebrity stalker. He's kind of more like, yeah, man, I just wanted to go and, and watch the show and have a good but, time. You know, is it stalking? <laughs> is it stalking if you were in the band? You know yeah, what I, I know, mean? It, totally. That's the, I know. Yeah, that that's kind of that's kind of odd to me, but I guess yeah, they don't have that that same relationship, and also like the band at this point is all, uh, it, it, none no one in the band currently was there during the heyday except for Wes. Yeah, nobody, and yeah, and you know, I mean, yeah, there, it, it's one of those hired gun things where you're kind of like, uh, you know, I mean, you know, they're which doing works, a good- which works for some bands and doesn't work for others. Yeah, and they're doing, and from what I've heard, dude, they're doing a great job or whatever. But it's just like, uh, you know, the the, you know, the day in day out kind of thing of just like playing every weekend. You know, it's just kind of like, eh, you know, it's like you, you kind of, it, it would kind of for me, it's kind of life sucking. You know, I mean, you know, if you're on a tour where you know you're going to go out for a month and you're going to be uh, on the road for a month, yeah, it's great. But touring for a year every weekend you know it's just like uh you got to find some dudes that are really really into it really because dude i mean you're taking so much time away from your your family your friends your pets it's not like you're doing a month or two and you know every day you know it's kind of like well you're a weekend warrior you're making money and you're out there playing shows which is cool keep it going you know i mean i'm i'm all for it i'm you know i'll champion it all the way you know but it's one of those things where it's like, it's gotta be tough, dude. Cause you're missing out on so much in life. Just, you know, doing the every weekend here and there, you come back for a week and then you can't even really, you know how you, when you get home from something and you're home for a week and you're like, can't even really get your bearings set straight. Correct. And then you're going back out for three more days to, you know, play whatever festival, wherever, you know, yeah. As I get older, I'm kind of more just like, yeah, you know, a touring thing. Once you've played a hundred shows, I think after you've played a hundred shows, you're kind of like, yeah, I can take it or leave it. But some people, they, some people really live, live for it. And, you know, I think Wes is one of those dudes that he really, he, he lives for playing in front of the fans. And I'm, like I said, I'm a champion for that. Go for it. You know? Yeah. I mean, also it shouldn't be lost, of course, just the income that comes from it. And, and there's bands who have been doing that lifestyle way longer, uh, who comes to mind for me is, as I said before, you did the outro. The outro was done by Mark Slaughter, who I got to know really well. And Slaughter has been doing weekend shows, mainly at casinos, since about 1991 in their heyday to uh, when they were playing arenas at that time and then to what they're doing now. And quite honestly, it's a similar set list every time you'll see them. Uh, And, I mean, there is a lot of money involved. The fact is Slaughter has not put out a new album since, if I remember correctly, 1998. I don't think they intend to put out another album, but they know that every week in a different city, they can get fans who want to see Mad About You and Up All Night and Fly to the Angels. And, and yeah, they could draw a crowd and and it's, it's what supports their life. Yeah, and isn't aren't it, doesn't Dana Strom play in uh, Vince Neil's solo? Yeah, he band? plays in Vince Neil's band as well. And I think when Mark is not on the road and they're doing that, uh, Mark is doing voice acting and and does like various other projects. He did put out two solo albums, 
one of which I had some hand in, I guess you would say, in that <laughs> never never given up. Uh, I, I hooked him up with uh, the Red Circle Foundation since he wanted to do that that song for charity. Cool. Um, so yeah, I feel like when I listen to that, I'm like, all right, I was, I was kind of there for some of this, which was cool. But uh, yeah, he does a little bit of stuff outside of that. But yeah, I know the, the, the lion's share of what those guys make is just every week plugging along, playing casinos. And uh, that's that's been their lifestyle, as I said, for 30 years, the on-the-road uh-huh. lifestyle. Yeah. And then, you know, for, for them to keep doing it too, it's like, you know, I mean, Mark's voice still sounds great, you know, and it's usually that's what really kind of bottoms out bands is when the singer kind of can't, you know, can't really pull it off anymore. And, you know, it's one of those things where Mark still sounds great. You know, I mean, the you see a lot of those bands that are kind of like, yeah, you know, it's like, eh. well, it depends you know, on what level you're on too. When you say it bottoms out because look at bon jovi i'm sure you've seen the recent videos of john bon jovi yeah Mm. he's he's having definitely vocal issues but they're still playing stadiums every night and i think even if they're playing five years from now they're going to be playing stadiums no matter what he sounds like or in the case of kiss who is using backing track (laughs) where it's all on youtube that we could see they're clearly lip singing and there are people who don't really care they're still going to come out and see them when they come to their city yeah, even some people go just to see that stuff too. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> some people, wreck. yeah, some people like the train wreck. You know, they're like, oh, "That's where I'm going." You know, well, that's the thing with Wes. When we remember when we first met, when you and I first talked, and that's what was going on with that was that whole train yeah. wreck, and people were still showing up to see him fall apart at the seams. I mean, he was sitting on a bench, you know, sitting there singing songs, sitting on a, a on a bar stool, like, and it, you could just tell he was wasted and. It was like, man, people are showing up to see this stuff. And, you know, the band would walk off stage and leave him and stuff. And I was just like, I couldn't believe it. It was like, man, if I was, if I was in the band, I would be like, dude, come on, let's, let's go. Let's, let's get out of here, man. Let's take a, you know, take a few months off and kind of chill. And it's like, you know, he, he kind of just kept going and telling it was just getting worse and worse. And then that's when you reached out to me and you were kind of like, Hey man, I'm a big fan. What's going on? You know, and I'm like, yeah, I, I wanted to do originally a documentary, and then um, this guy Ricky Bones, who I worked with, who worked at Gas Digital, you know, because I don't have all the equipment or the skills to do a film documentary, said so let's do like an audio documentary for Gas Digital, and I haven't really seen that guy since, but I got your interview. And I, I wanted to do it in a respectful way because I didn't want it to be like, oh, look at this train wreck and exploitive of the whole thing. I wanted to see like a great comeback story. And I think on some level we've seen that though, because yep. uh, the two times I've seen Puddle and Mud post first speaking with you, they were great, man. And they were not having those issues. And even the nights maybe where it's an off night now, it's not to what you were seeing because it looked for a while like Wes Scantlin was going to be the next dead rock star. I mean, he yeah, was on that- stage and he was collapsing while singing. It was, if you look up those shows, it was horrendous to see. Yeah, it really, yeah. It was hard for me to watch. You know, it was, uh, yeah, I reached out a bunch of times and, you know, talked to him or whatever and reached out through various friends. And I was just like, Hey man, if he, you know, you know, he needs help or he needs somebody, you know, and it, and you, you didn't, I'd never, I, a few times I got a response, a few times I didn't. I was just like, that kind of was like, hey, man, you know, I don't, I don't want to see you end up, end up dead or anything. 
but it was it was very troubling to see like everything on YouTube that it's like you're like watching watching him fall apart like on you know on TV basically you're just like wow what's going on with this whole thing why hasn't somebody just and I don't know if it was management or just bad you know what was going on but it was like it just continued and continued and it was just like you know friends of ours you know that grew up with this were calling me going man you really need to reach out to him and I'm like well I have dude he's not returning my calls you know it's like uh, you know like people were like actually for a minute there were like you know kind of making me feel guilty because it was just like like you know man we need to do something do we need to fly out to a show and save him and I'm like dude you know if he wants to keep doing drugs and partying and whatever he's doing we're not going to be able to stop him he'll just run away from us you know we can show up to how many shows we want and try to do something but you know, he, he, he'll just get away from this and go do drugs, you know? And that was the thing with me back in the band when I got back in the band. And that's probably why I'm not in the band was because I was kind of calling out a lot of those things that I was seeing, you know, it was like, and I hate to say that, you know, I'm not anybody that's, you know, he's made a bounce back and I'm, I'm proud of him for that. But what I was seeing was not what the guy I knew, you know, I was seeing stuff that I was just kind of like, bro this ain't this isn't i'm i really thought he was gonna end up dead then and that was in 05 you know so you know he's bounced back but he really went downhill with a lot of that stuff you know i mean you can only do that stuff for so long while you're in your 20s and you know as soon as you hit your 30s and 40s man you can't you know cocaine and and all that stuff is is not something that you know you should be messing around with and you know that's what I kind of, I tried to be there as a friend. And that, that's when, you know, I got a call from my manager is like, they don't want to work with you anymore. What was, was he doing hard drugs in front of you? I mean, cause I know at the uh, time you, you were, you were doing some stuff yeah, as well. Right. But not on the level he was. Yeah. I, I partied, man. I, you know, it's like, shit. I, I did a line of blow off, uh, uh, <laughs> Pam Anderson's fingernail one time. Wait, why? You got to tell us this story. This yeah. Is... <laughs> so I was hanging out with Wes, and and we we went to uh, Pam Anderson's roast, her com comedy roast or whatever, because we met her the night before. Her and Courtney were at the Sunset Marquee where I had a room, and they came up to my room and hung out and partied with me and Wes, and me and Wes sang them songs and everything like that. So they gave us passes for the next night, which was the comedy her, Pam Pam's comedy roast or whatever. Anyway, it was like, you know, they were all hanging out and partying and I'm not really a cocaine dude. So I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, you know, I've, I've done it, but you know, I'm not, it's not my drug of choice or whatever, but Pam Anderson had some on her pinky nail and she was like, Hey, puddle of mud guy, you want to do a line? And I was like, sure, I'll do one. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. That's a big revelation there because yeah. Um, I mean, if that I guess that means that at least the time, but uh -huh. Pamela Anderson was doing some very hard stuff herself. Yeah, yeah, and hanging out with Courtney Love, she was hanging out with Courtney, and like, you know, it was funny. Was me and Wes did a version with Courtney singing of "She Fucking Hates Me," and it was "He Fucking Hates Me," and she, Courtney sang it. So we we played it acoustically in my room, and she was singing along. She was like, I, I know where you guys got that song or whatever. It sounds like this, you know, but she was all blown out at the time too, which was, was, uh, 
as you can tell on that weenie roast or the not the weenie roast the comedy roast uh pam's comedy roast courtney was yeah she was she, she was probably partying pretty hard too you know i remember those roasts man what about what about the roast of Donald Trump where he, this was two years or so <laughs> prior to 2016 and he was like, and I'm going to be the next president. Yeah. And it was all one big joke. People were like, ah, all right, you know, yeah. it's never going to happen. And sure enough, I mean, he, he proved them wrong. The Donald. Yeah, man. I mean, geez, you know, talk about a guy that's got a lot of flack for trying to, now we're all, we're all, all starting to come around to where it's like, I guess mean tweets really weren't that bad. Cheap gas, mean tweets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's other stuff i've certainly criticized on the show some of the part pardons like you know rod blagojevich not uh, not someone i would certainly pardon there, there's uh -huh. other stuff i can get into even like the eddie gallagher stuff but yeah i think overall like the mood of the country is just yeah it was uh, un i mean undeniably the four years we had under trump things in terms of inflation or gas prices or all of that there's really no comparison yeah now you know the thing i'm starting to notice too is just that it's like uh a big thing for me with him was that there was no wars you know he kind of kept everything you know to where we weren't all you know we weren't going to war and now i see this thing with the whole ukraine thing and the money that we're sending over there that we can't even take care of our homeless or our vets here in america and we're sending billions of dollars somewhere else that's the one thing that I saw in Trump that I was kind of like, yeah, you know, he's kind of kept us out of, out of these, out of these global conflicts. And, you know, um, you, you might know more than I do or whatever there, there, maybe there was some global con conflicts that I didn't see, but that's what I kind of noticed, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I definitely do. And I do think that's why like the more neocon wing of the party, the Liz Cheney's and uh, they don't like him. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I think part of I mean, at least one of those I could say was the drawdown in uh, in Afghanistan, which was disastrous. Uh, yeah. But I think it would have been a problem no matter who would have been in office. I just don't know if it would have been as bad because I think if Trump got another term, we'd be getting guys out of Afghanistan. Would it be done as hastily? probably not because it couldn't have been done worse than it was yeah that's what tonto was saying is that the whole thing was just a mess and you know you know it, it sounds like a mess you know it's like i'm not you know i'm not really military so i don't know but though you know yeah, neither of us are so yeah and so talking to tonto about it you know he was just you know kind of saying hey you know it's like we got to be smarter than you know our enemies and our enemies are pretty smart you know of course. I, I got to ask you about that, actually, come to think of it, is that so I met Chris prior to really people knowing who Chris was. He put out the 13 Hours book. I was working at Andrew Wilkow. I, I was definitely interested in the attacks on Benghazi and had watched everything like everybody else. But this was right when the book was being released. He was out there doing press. I had never heard the name Chris Tonto Peranto before meeting him. And I was just like, man, this is a super genuine guy and things have just kind of evolved into where it is now. I, I saw him, his like rise to fame and I guess what he would call his fall where he wasn't away from his family and all that. But even all the stuff that he says that, oh, I was an angry person, all that. I never saw that, man. He was, I, I, there was never a time I hung out with Chris and he wasn't like a super genuine guy. Obviously there was stuff going on behind the scenes that he's not proud of that he, um, that he's fixed. And that he's been uh -huh. completely honest about in his books and he's spoken about it. And he's a great place in his life right now. I mean, you saw as much as I did him with his kids on the trampoline and, and yeah. his youngest, his youngest son, not the, uh, 
is it? Yeah, his youngest son right in the golf cart. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I mean, that that was awesome to see, just them having a blast. But for you, it, it was a little different meeting, Chris, because you had read the book before, you had watched 13 Hours. So to you, it's almost like, you know, that that rock star meeting, that that celebrity who you looked up to or something, even though for him, he's there's a reason to respect him. He's not just someone who put out a great album or someone who, who was a great sports figure or something like there's, there's a reason that you looked up to him as, as a hero of this country. So yeah. What was your experience? Cause I met you the day prior and then you came out to Fort Scott and that was your first time meeting Chris. And I'm just thinking of like that saying of like, never meet your heroes type of thing. And and I get the feeling like no, it was not it, that type of experience. Yeah. yeah, no, no, we're, yeah. It's like Chris and I are a lot alike, you know, it's like, we're kind of a, you know, kindred souls. And also it's like one of those things where it's like, you you've seen it where he'll give he'll give people like a lot of of his time to kind of make them feel like they're important or you know they're you know he wants to listen to what they're saying and stuff like that I'm kind of that way too where you kind of want to make people feel good you know and he he kind of has that that vibe to him so it was it was cool to hang out with him and have him give me give me some instruction on shooting and stuff like that to where give me some tips you know, I learned a lot that day just by watching, watching certain things, you know, and, uh, you know, Chris, Chris to me, uh, is one of those, he's, he's a patriot, man. He's one of those dudes that it's like, you know, if the shit hits the fan, you want that guy on your side, you know, you know, you, you want that type of dude, all those types of dudes there, you know, it's like, you know, we, we've become a country of people that, you know, are, are kind of desensitized and kind of uh uh really you know kind of pussies you know and we need those kind of people that you know what i'm saying i mean we need more masculine men that are macho that are going to be like hey i'm not going to take this shit you know yeah yeah no and, and chris is just like a super genuine guy as, as i've said before so it was quite cool. and, and i think he respects you a lot too and i think as he said before on the show your music was there for him during those times in in his life and and when those guys are out there they're listening to bands like yours they're that's it's what gets them through those deployments yeah i mean and that that to me is the ultimate compliment you know you know that's kind of like i we talked on the first podcast that's kind of for me when people say that kind of stuff it could be somebody coming up to me being like you know my brother wanted to hear your music because he passed away from cancer or something touches me yeah yeah for for sure i think the songs get us through some of the hardest times in life and bring us back to certain moments and yeah when i put on something that i was listening to in 12th grade or that i was listening to first year of college it brings me back to those times it's it's the soundtrack to our lives yeah yeah definitely and that's you know that's that's one of the music the music really has that big of impact to a lot of people and it's like sometimes as a musician i think we all as musicians sometimes we can forget that but then it kind of kicks in and we're kind of like whoa you know what a blessing you know you know i I would amazing i would imagine that if you go into the studio and your intent is like i'm gonna write a timeless song that's (laughs) gonna be remembered 30 years from now you probably would never be able to do it. It has to be, I would, I would guess because I've never done it, but I would guess it has to be just spontaneous. Yeah. Ian, man. It's like one of those things where like, sometimes I'll be like, I'll get, you know, I'll think about it for a week and I'll be like, I'm going to, I'm going to write a badass song. It's going to be like 
crazy train meets hotel california man it's gonna be the best song ever you get in there it's like (laughs) 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 yeah you're like oh wow was i really thinking i was gonna do something like that you know but yeah it really is it's a spontaneous thing that and it's usually what i've noticed too is like it's kind of a spontaneous thing between two people usually somebody that's a singer and somebody that's a guitar player or somebody that you know kind of has you know could be a piano or whatever but you know like the elton bernie kind of thing or whatever but um or i think of i think of oasis the gallagher brothers yeah yeah totally like we're it's one of those things where you know you're kind of like trying to maybe outdo each other a little bit or kind of like i'm you know i don't know what 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 kind of how to phrase it but something where you're trying to one-up somebody like hey no I, we can do make make this a little bit better if i add this here yeah well if you add that there i'm gonna add this here you know it's like and, and you know what have, did you see the uh the documentary on oasis of course you know me okay. you, you, you they, me. i was gonna say i feel like learning more about them they had this winning formula and they yeah. probably would have had another two or three timeless albums but they fucked it up out of jealousy of each other. It was like, you know, you had the one guy who was the great songwriter and the one guy who, even though Noel has a great voice, Liam was the voice. He, you know, I know that Noel had hits that he sang on, but Liam was what people wanted to hear. And I think Uh one guy was jealous of the other's songwriting. One guy was jealous of the other's voice. I could write a song as good as you. I could sing as good as you. And then they put out albums where they fucked up the formula they had. They had this like winning, amazing formula. Yeah, and then they kind of fired all the band members too. They remember they kind of got rid of all those guys too. And yeah. it was like, even like uh, even the even the guys that are in the band that maybe come in later that didn't write on stuff, they had their own little thing too. It's like I've talked to drummers where they're like, "Yeah, I played on this or I played on that, but I don't get any publishing because you know I'm a drummer or whatever." And you're like, "Well, yeah, I mean, you do add your own part, but if the song's already written, the melody and the vocal line, then you really." can't claim any publishing that's why it's like usually you know bands kind of splinter off from each other is because if they become successful two guys or one guy's making all the money the other guys are all resenting you know and it's kind of like uh but yeah it's even the even the 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 guys that were in oasis i can't remember their name but the drummer had his own unique style that other guitar player had his own unique style and it was kind of that's what kind of drove the band you know that for a while for those two albums like you said it's crazy seeing this stuff in documentaries where you're like you're probably like me where you're like get your shit together man (laughs) you know kind of you know where you get that way you're like man this is unbelievable you know (laughs) can't somebody pull them to the side and be like hey bro you you know you, you could really do it this way and do it this way and still remain successful you know well i feel like you lived it you, yeah, you lived yeah. it, man, because Puddle of Mud had one major album. They they yeah. had other hits after that, but it's like, dude, if they had the formula of the original guys, and it it, it sucks to say, but it might be too late now, but uh-huh. if they would have had those same guys two, three years ago, you know, after Come Clean, they probably could have been a band who had two, three classic albums. Yeah, and I really think that that's what they were... Uh... I think that the, a lot of that stuff we could have worked out. He's like, I, I, re, I remember like before I rejoined the band in 04, 05, you know, that whole thing, there was talks of us getting with the old band, like Paul Phillips and, uh, who's and in Greg third eye Up. blind. I mean, uh, not third eye blind. Who's in three doors down now. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that's Greg, Greg uh, Upchurch. We're there oh, was okay. talks of, 
of me coming in and just writing with those guys. And Paul Phillips, he rejected the idea. Greg was yours down. No, uh, he was the Greg was. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, Paul Phillips was the guitar player that uh, Fred brought in to replace me when they signed the deal with him. And uh, Greg's the one that's in Greg Upchurch is in three doors down right now. I think he's been in there for 20 the past maybe 19 years maybe but yeah paul phillips rejected the idea doug ardito the bass player at the time was like yeah that's what i think we should do we should have jimmy come in and you know try to do some writing with him or whatever and so they flew me out to la wes picked me up at the airport and went over to doug's and we made a phone call to paul phillips and paul phillips didn't want to write with me he's like why do we need that guy and paul i Paul was on speakerphone with Doug and Doug was like, dude, he's the guy that wrote, helped write all these hits on this album. We kind of need to work with him. And Paul Phillips is like, I have no interest in it. And then wow. that's when they, that's when he, he quit. And I, I, they put me in the band, you know, has, has Paul Phillips done anything notable since I just wonder, because with, with Greg, like being in three doors down, man, that's an amazing, that's another like lotto ticket band. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, Paul, I think, played with a band called Operator. Do you remember that? Operator. They no, were on they were on Sirius. Kind of sounded like Chris Cornell singing. It was a it was an okay song. Uh, but I don't think he's done anything since. I'm not really sure. But you know, every time I kind of met the guy, he seemed like he didn't like me because I was there. So I because I had a part in writing those songs, you know. And like for a lot of my friends and a lot of people that were in the puddle camp were like, I don't know why Paul doesn't like you. It's like you're, you wrote the hits that he's playing on stage. You know, I, I just couldn't ever understand. I was always nice to him. I was like, hey man, that show's, you know, at a show, your man, your amp sounded killer tonight. That guitar sounds killer, you know? And he would be like, oh, that's the worst show I've ever played. You know, I was just kind of trying to compliment him. And he was like, he, I just didn't seem like he liked me. And it was kind of weird. You know, it's yeah, like, it's, it's kind of strange with how, I guess, just egos clash like that yeah uh, is is odd to me uh because i always think like great artists they like working with it look at all the hits that kiss had and all the writers that were brought in uh-huh yeah yeah, yeah dude i mean yeah I, I never understood it but it's like you know one of those things where i was always open to suggestions that you know if anybody wanted to work on something i was always open and west was like hey man i want to fly you out and you know and just hearing it from it was kind of heartbreaking hearing it through Doug's phone that he was like, I don't want to work with that guy. And I'm like, dude, I just given you hits to tour on, you know? And it's like, you guys are successful because of my songs, you know, you know, partly because of my songs, I can't claim all, all of sure, it, but, sure, you know, of course. but going, going back to kiss though, I got a great kiss story. Did I tell you the kiss story? Have I told you the kiss? No, story I, I don't think so. Cause me and your girlfriend and you, like we were talking kiss cause we're like nerds yeah. for kiss, but I don't remember. Well, well maybe this will make blabber mouth. <laughs> no, yeah, let's say, do it. Uh, and the Courtney uh, love thing might. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You know, but we were, so we we're practicing at mates with against all will. Uh, and we, we so we were paying the mates rehearsal places in North Hollywood. Right. So we pull up and we're, we're unpacking all our gear and stuff at the rehearsal spot. And when we pull up my buddy, big Dave, he's, he's like honking at this guy that's in a car in front of you. And I'm like, dude, you're honking at Gene Simmons, dude, Gene, they're practicing here too. And he's like, no way. 
He's then he's like, oh my god, that is that is Gene Simmons. He's like, oh dude, go tell him I'm sorry, you know. And so like they anyway they get they're in the room we're practicing, and I'm listening to them next door. They're in the room right next to us at mates. And what they, were they keep, re- I'm just curious, what were they recording at the time? Like what they, what era was this? This would have been 2010. And it said 2010, 2011, maybe. Um, they were writing new songs. So Bruce Kulick was in there, Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Eric Singer, another writer, and I want to say a producer. I can't remember the guy. I, I think it was one of the oh yeah it was one of the producers in there but there was like i'm I'm saying a group of people in there sure and they played the same riff for an hour to where i was about ready to go over there and just go hey guys you need help with writing a song because they kept just playing (laughs) and then they'd stop (laughs) talk about it for a while talk about it i could hear them talking and then started back up again and i'm just like dude this is kiss they're practicing in the same practice spaces against all will why don't they have their own like stadium somewhere that they can write songs in or i was just it blew my mind that i was just wanting to go over there and go how about you guys go you know it's just like i was like kiss is next door failing miserable miserably and i was like man i could should go over there and offer up offer up my services you know it, it would be cool man did, did yeah. you get to have any other interaction with them or you just kind of kept your distance? Uh, yeah you know i kind of just kept to my own myself but the funny thing was is the next night our one of the guys that was a the, the guy that was honking at gene simmons big dave he uh we were at the sunset music festival and motley crew was playing and a limo pulls up and I'm like standing by the urinals or whatever, like the porta potties, you know, and all of a sudden I see Gene Simmons get out of this limo and I'm like, Whoa, there's Gene Simmons. We just saw him yesterday or whatever. That's crazy. But then out of the midst, I see big Dave and he's under Gene Simmons's arm handing off our against all will CD to him. <laughs> I'm like, big, there's big Dave. He's, he's hanging out with Gene Simmons now. You know, yeah, it, it, he gave him a CD and uh, Gene Simmons was like, this is a really, this is, this artwork's really good on this CD. <laughs> it's, and it's also probably how many CDs does Gene Simmons get handed that yeah. he probably just throws in the trash, to be honest. Yeah, bro. Yeah, that's, 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 that's what I said. I said, Dave, he probably just threw that in the trash, but hey, you know, I mean, he, he, he took, he took a shot. Dave took a shot, but it was weird because I was kind of standing on the hills on the porta potties. And I kind of just looked over and saw the limo. And I saw Gene Simmons's hair. And then I saw Big Dave right next to him under his arm. Like Gene Simmons had him. This was way before COVID and all that stuff. But had him <laughs> under his arm like, hey, how you doing, big guy? You know? <laughs> That's awesome, man. So you know what I was going to ask you? I mean, we were talking about production before. And we're, when we were talking about Bob Rock, which I could totally see you doing. I could see you producing something for a newer band. I, I don't know what the outlet would be nowadays because of the fact that just music has changed so much. And there's really, uh, at least of the genre that you're known for, Against All Will, Puddle of Mud, there are no like big, big bands coming out of that genre at the moment. But I just have to wonder, what what are you going to do next? Because you have an awesome studio at your house, which actually if you turn around the the uh, 
uh, phone, people probably could see everything on the wall there. Where, where are the guitars? Oh, you'd have to go downstairs, right, for the guitars yeah. and all that. Yeah. But um, I mean, you still have a great like space with with all this stuff. Do you plan on putting out any new material? Maybe producing another artist, writing yeah. for new artists. What what's what's on the horizon? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about doing. Is just you know, kind of maybe uh producing, doing a little writing and stuff for up and coming bands, and kind of maybe, you know, as I get you know as I get older, kind of you know maybe you know doing the manage management thing, kind of helping bands along. You know, I, I know you and I have talked about that. You know, where we uh you know, kind of scout out some bands that are up and coming or doing pretty good. You always need, you know, you always need kind of a, a, a second set of ears on stuff, you know? So it's always good to have somebody like I, that's why it's like, I can, uh, with my career in music, I can kind of, you know, my manager, Sam Kaiser has been there has really led me in, in a lot of right in the right directions and kind of been there for me. Whereas like if I was kind of just out on my own, you know, I would have taken the first kind of publishing deal or whatever I was offered, but having somebody that, you know, kind of is there, you know, to keep an eye out for you. That's what I'd like to be. I'd like to be kind of a mentor for that kind of thing. Is, is there uh, much of a rock scene in Kansas city? Are there bands that you go out and see who are younger, who, who you feel could be doing something big? Yeah. And yeah, there's, there's a few bands here that, you know, I've, I've noticed that are kind of, you know, that are kind of need, they need the extra, you know, it, it's kind of these times the bands, you know, need some sort of extra kick to kind of kick them up into a spot, you know, whereas us coming up back in the day, we didn't really have that where it was kind of like, but my buddy Gene here, he has a killer studio B24 studios downtown. And uh, he has a band called Search and Seizure, which you should check out. It's they're a really good band, and uh, there there's a lot of talent here. I think that it's more about we're at a weird, I don't know, a weird timeline right now with everything. I think that after we kind of go over this timeline and into another, that I think there's going to be some new artists that are going to come up. You know, especially around here. I think it's just you know got to take some time you know to where we everybody has kind of get over the last couple of years i think i just feel that i don't know if i'm right or you know yeah i think you're right about the timeline thing because the the thing that's that sticks out to me is we had two years of this whole covid situation and not being able to go to shows and then currently what we have now is the economy situation so i've i'm only planning on going to one other show uh, in the coming months i'm gonna go see third eye blind actually on sunday cool. so the day before this comes out uh with some friends but i i got those tickets a while back but i realized like when i go on StubHub and i go on Ticketmaster, most shows other than the shows like the stadium tour with motley crew and def leopard where people were holding on to tickets for two years tickets are not really moving when yeah. i look at shows at jones beach like by where my parents are on long island and i go to shows there um I just look at that chart of all the of all the seats that are available and they're having to lower prices every few weeks and people are buying tickets last minute. That's the smart way of going about it. But yeah, I just think with the economy right now for the bigger shows, people are not looking to spend 50, 100, 200 dollars to go to a show right now that people are in, you know, the price of gas, the price of everything. 
uh, people are holding on to their money, including myself. I plan on going to the stadium tour and maybe one of those Aerosmith shows in Massachusetts or Maine. And, and for me right now, yeah, I, I don't have the money to do so. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a rough situation. I was thinking about going to the, the stadium tour too. That I was just kind of like, they're going to be here, I think in a couple of days. And dude, it's it's like in the hundreds here. It's like, yeah, dude, same, was, same with me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, it's like, you know, I mean, I'm, it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, I've seen him in their heyday. You know, you're a big exactly. Group, and, you know, it's like, so I, I've seen him, you know, I think I saw the Dr. Feelgood tour like four times, you know. Oh my God. So, I, but yeah, for me, I mean, I didn't see them in their heyday, but I did get to see him in the mid 2000s and I did get to see him before this. And it's like, yeah, I'll go see Motley Crue for $40 or something, which is probably what I was paying then. I, and if I go to see Motley Crue, I want to be on the field. They're playing stadiums. Uh-huh. And yeah, I'm not looking to shell out like $200, $300 for that. Um, you know, I'm going to Third Eye Blind. I'm like way up there. And I, I think a lot of people are, are just in that same position right now where uh, money, disposable income is just not the priority right now. I could say for me, like, and I'm sure so many people in our audience and maybe even you, I, I saw all these people doing well with crypto and stocks. And it was like, I got to get in on this. And then from basically when Thanksgiving happened this past Thanksgiving to now, everything is shot down. So it's like the money that I invested, which is nothing crazy. I have lost thousands of dollars and I factor that into like my entire net worth at the moment. And it's like, yeah, until this revives, I'm looking to just save what I have. Yeah. That's kind of way I am too. You know, it's kind of, you know, there's been a few guitars, the vintage guitars that I've been eyeing or whatever. And I'm just kind of like, ah, the, the, that market really hasn't dipped you know vintage guitars are on the up so because there's not that many of them out there but i was kind of eyeing a few and i was kind of like no like right now i just can't do it you know did you see how much kurt cobain's guitar went for what was it three million that one uh, yeah was that what it, i'm if i google it was that how much it was the acoustic it, one insane. from unplugged i yeah. think so was yeah, that, that three million that's how much yeah. it went for i want to say it was i want to say it was three million insane it says nearly five million it says, yeah see there you go yeah i was wrong but yeah dude like <laughs> i mean as as you as a collector uh knowing maybe resell value is that not in terms of something you would buy of course but like is it worth it is, is it going to retain five million dollars since it's from unplugged it might because uh, some collector might billionaire collector might buy it but yeah like for me yeah, that, I mean, dude, I, yeah, it's just like, I, I looked at a guitar one time that was a uh, 59 less fall and they wanted, I think they wanted uh, 200, they wanted a quarter of a million for it. And I was like, ah, yeah, you know, oh, I could, I was like, okay, take out a <laughs> I loan. think I'll buy a house. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll buy a house, you know, yeah, that was, that was kind of the thing. But then now if I look at that same less fall, they're, they're reaching half a million, you know, on some of those. Wow. Yeah. So, I so mean, you're wishing you would have bought it well no not really i'd rather just you to know, sell yeah just and i i have done that where i bought stuff just to sell and then you kind of after you sell it, you kind of kick yourself it's kind of a weird thing with guitar players kind of like man why did i do that why i bought that thing i set on it i made a little bit of profit but i sure did love it why did i why did i get it rid of it for its profit you know but sometimes you got to do what you got to do Oh, yeah, of course. I just couldn't imagine shelling out $5 million for a guitar, like the amount of great investments you can make with that. But then again, 
you could have probably put that money in the stock market in late 2021 and you would have uh-huh. lost half of it as well. So yeah. maybe the guitar is, is a better, uh, yeah. as silly as it sounds, the $5 million Kurt Cobain guitar may be a better investment somehow. Yeah, it would be cool just to have it for a couple nights and then get rid of it and be like, I, I got pictures with it and I'm playing on it. And then you're like, uh, okay, I'll sell it, you know? <laughs> Well, I, I think we've covered a, a ton of ground here. This was a fun show. And the fact is you and I, other than the Pantera thing, we didn't really have anything prepared we were going to talk about, but I could just talk rock with you. And, I know, and hopefully yeah. the audience enjoyed it. I know the audience loves hearing from military guys and special operators, but I really like to switch things up now and again. And, and hopefully some of, as you said, maybe the blabbermouth audience and that type of rock audience hears this and, and ends up checking out some of our other stuff. We should try to do it. Yeah, dude, we should try to do it again. Just do a rock show like uh but well, like you said, I, I want to thank, you know, all the, the service members for their service, you know, and everything like that. You know, thanks to all those guys for keeping us safe during troubled times and stuff. I know there's some guys out there listening and, you know, maybe maybe I'll have some some new music for them to jam out to. Hopefully we don't hopefully we don't see any warfare coming up, you know. Yeah. You know, hopefully hopefully we everything gets, you know, gets figured out, you know, and, you know, when you told me it's. You told me today or told me the other day that I had to fill in for Tonto. So I had, you know, I ate my Wheaties today and I ran around the block four times. And then then I picked up the gun and practiced, you know, my drills and stuff like that. So then I was I was I was about ready, but I'm I'm not at his level. I'm I'm still I I could probably maybe I need to take a dip. You know, that's it. (laughs) That's great, man. Yeah, no, that's that's him all the way, all day, every day. So. Uh, as always, guys, uh, check out Jimmy Allen on Instagram at Jimmy Allen uh, Songwriter. I got to throw that in there at Jimmy Allen Songwriter, J I M M Y Allen Songwriter. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us out. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe on YouTube. Leave us a comment on there. We're trying to get those numbers up. We're, we're still new to YouTube and we really could use the support there of course chris will be in next episode did i just lose you there it now says there we go i got you now yeah Um, my battery's just dying all right well we're gonna be done in a second anyway but um yeah next show uh chris will be back of course we got brad thor coming on who just released rising tiger brad thor is the man uh 21st book in the scott harvath series um yeah anything else before uh, we get out of here bro no just hit the thumbs up like and subscribe That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on. And as always, never quit. quit.